thanks so much for for joining me uh, for this. I'm so excited. And I've been following Mr. Malcolm's list since the refinery short. Yeah, yeah so a so, few years. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's really cool. So um, I'd love to start just hearing a little bit about sort of Mr. Malcolm's list. So you, d- did you first write it as a novel or it was first the short or sort of like, how did it all come to be? Yeah, um, it's actually, it was actually quite a long journey. So mm-hmm. I actually wrote it first as a, sh- a short story set in modern times. Um, and that was about a little over 20 years ago. So (laughs) it was, um, in 2001, my very first book was accepted for publication. It was called Incognito and it was a similar, um, novel. It was set in Regency England. It was a historical romantic comedy like Mr. Malcolm's List. And, um, I was at that time, um, kind of a member of a few like online writing type platforms. And I wrote a short story about a man with a list of requirements for a partner. And then when my um, book got accepted incognito, I got a two book contract and I, and it suddenly occurred to me that this short story I wrote would work even better (laughs) as a story set in Regency England when, you know, the stakes were much higher for marriage and finding uh, a partner because, you know, divorce could only be had through an act of parliament. And it was, uh, there were men and women were so pressured into making the right match. So um, I reset it in in the Regency era. And I wrote Mr. Malcolm's List at that time as a historical novel. And then how did it uh, end up on screen? And because you wrote the screenplay as well. Yes. So fast forward a few years And I read a review of, I don't even remember which book it was, Incognito or Mr. Malcolm's List, but the reviewer said that they could see it as a movie. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, I really could too. (laughs) (laughs) And I I don't think when I was actually writing the book, I'm pretty sure I had no ambition for it to be a film. I don't think I dreamed that big at that point. I was just writing the book. But um, when she, when I read that review, I realized that I really enjoyed writing dialogue more than description. And that I, um, I would see the scenes when I write a novel, um, I can see my characters interacting and talking. And so it plays a little bit like a movie in my head. So that is when I thought, huh, I wonder if I could adapt Mr. Malcolm's List into a script. So I did research. Um, I, I read a bunch of screenplays. I educated myself on screenwriting, but I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I should um, spend any money, invest any money. So at that time, I did not buy um, Final Draft. <laughs> So, so I wasted a whole lot of time trying to format a screenplay in Word, which I do not recommend for anyone. Just, just, just spring, like, I don't know if it's like 80 or $90 now, but back then it was probably half that, but just spring Mm -hmm. for final draft. If you have any ambitions of taking up screenwriting is my advice to you. But yeah, so I, um, I adapted it into a script and 
It was the very first script I ever wrote was Mr. Malcolm's List. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I uploaded it. Um, I entered it. Amazon Studios um, shortly after that started having like free screenwriting contests because they were getting into the movie industry. So I uploaded it there in 2011 and it it uh, was a semifinalist. And I actually got a call from... Um, an executive at Amazon Studios at one point. So it was funny, uh, quite a few times along this very long journey, I thought about stopping and think, you know, just um, it occurred to me that perhaps I was wasting my time and I would, you know, never be able to get a movie made or a script produced or even optioned or sold. But mm-hmm. then the un- the universe kept sending me these little signs, you know. So I I kept at it. So um, the contest placement was one of them. I also received a call from a producer at some point, um, uh, probably I think 2013, and she had read the script. I had cold queried a bunch of producers and Hollywood execs, and she asked for the script and read it, and she really liked it, and she said it was. I, I can't remember. I should have written down the exact compliment because that would have made me feel good right now. <laughs> but she, <laughs> she complimented it and said something yeah. like it, it was one of the most creative things she'd ever read. But if I didn't stop writing period pieces, I would never make it in Hollywood. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was um, some encouragement and some discouragement, but I ignored the part about period pieces and just the part where she liked the script. Yeah. So, yeah. um, Finally, in 2014, I uploaded it to a service called The Blacklist. I don't know. how. Are you familiar with The Blacklist? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would, would you like me to explain kind of what it is? Yeah, just because our, our listeners might not know, but it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful platform for emerging screenwriters. Exactly. So um, it was shortly, I don't think it had been in existence very long when I uploaded my script, but... Um, you can uh, pay a nominal fee for a review um, from a professional script reader. So the um, script readers usually are what uh, have a job in Hollywood reading for studios or executives mm-hmm. or agencies. And um, they will rate your script on a scale from one to 10. And if it gets an eight or above, then an email is automatically generated and um, sent to whoever signs up for the service. But this is a great service for, um, you know, people who are looking for a good script because it kind of gets vetted for them and they don't have to wade through the thousands of scripts that get passed along. So um, I uploaded Mr. Malcolm's list and I paid for a review and um very, they, they actually rate pretty stringently and strictly, but, um, it got a nine out of 10, which was a shock. Yeah. That's hard (laughs) on the blacklist. That's really hard. Yeah. That's yeah. It it was pretty surprising. And, um, that's kind of what, you know, it, it, that was what finally broke me in. I, I know I've heard different screenwriters tell their story and there is no one way to break into to Hollywood and, um, to get your script even read, but that is finally what started opening doors. And then eventually in 2015, um, at that time, the blacklist had a podcast, um, which they did table reads of some of their Mm -hmm. scripts that were high, 
um, hadn't rated highly on their site. And so they table read my script. They got a great cast together. And um, that was, it was released in the summer of 2015. And the director um, who eventually directed the film, Emma Holly Jones, heard heard the table read. And that's how she became attached to direct. Wow. That's amazing. And now it's in theaters now. Yes, it is. <laughs> and that only takes us halfway. That takes us to 2015 because then yeah. you were actually asking about the short film. Should I continue or have I, <laughs> have I overstayed my welcome already? I, I'm sorry. It's such a long No, story. you certainly haven't overstayed <laughs> your welcome at all, but I, I know you do have a hard out soon. So I would love just to hear about a little bit more because we are a romance novel podcast. Right. So specifically, I'd love to hear about, you know, you, your first uh, two books were romances or Mr. Malcolm's was obviously a romance. And then I mm-hmm. assume the one before was. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear about your kind of journey to romance. Like, how did you start reading it yourself and what inspired you to start writing it? Well, it's funny. I am. Um... I actually discovered romance through like classic novels. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) most of my romance was, I I don't, I wouldn't, no one would probably consider them romance books, but um, you know, my favorite books growing up were like the Anna Green Gables series. So, um, (laughs) so that was probably my introduction to romance and then (laughs) Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. That was like, I read that when I was like 11 or 12, I pulled it off my older sister's bookshelf and fell in love. That was, you know, I just thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever read in my life. And I just Mm -hmm. loved how funny it was. And, you know, uh, so I say I have an equal love for comedy. Um, so I'm equally, I'm, you know, like Mr. Malcolm's list is a rom-com and Mm -hmm. I would say that, um, that is my love is, uh, romance and comedy, especially when they're mixed together. So I'm also a fan of like comedic authors like PG Woodhouse. Um, and so, um, so yeah, my introduction to romance was, you know, kind of even like, I loved Agatha Christie growing up and I loved the ones where like the man in the brown suit, which had a little love story combined (laughs) with it. So, um, so I think, oh, and Georgette Hare, I almost forgot, you know, my uh, total favorite of all time. So yeah. I, I especially loved her more comedic novels. So I just recently reread Friday's Child mm-hmm. and I was literally like shaking the bed. My husband was already asleep and I was <laughs> laughing. I'm like, okay, you can't laugh. So I just, I just think she is hilarious. So um yeah, I'd say those those were my inspiration to write a romance and also to to have those comedic elements as well. And then there were some traditional Regency romance authors, you know, if we're like going way back in time. <laughs> some of your some of your listeners may not have not be as familiar with them, but I don't know if you've heard of Joan Smith. Are you familiar with her? No, I have no. Is she was she a like a was she from like Georgette Hare's time or was she? No, she was oh. from like the, I would say, I, I don't know if she started in the seventies, but I'd say mm-hmm. she wrote like in the late, you know, 20th century, eighties, nineties, maybe, maybe even, um, but probably she may have started in the seventies. I'm not sure, but um, I read her like in the nineties, I think. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, she was very funny and she wrote what, 
at the time were called traditional regencies, which were more like Georgette Hare, where they were like, um, you know, kind of tame, <laughs> you know, just a few kisses and, but mm-hmm. comedic as well. So she was, she was also an author I really enjoyed. Yeah. Something that I heard recently is like the Regency period only lasted, I think it was like nine or 10 years. Like it was very Mm -hmm. short lived and it seems to have still like birthed so much literature, obviously (laughs) like (laughs) basically a genre with Georgette Hare, but also, you know, Jane Austen being so iconic as well. And, And it's sort of a time period, even with like Bridgerton or things like that, obviously your book and film. Um, what is it about that time period that really inspires so much literature and film? That is such a good question. I have often wondered the same thing, (laughs) Like, like you said, it's like nine years and it's, um, and, and it doesn't seem like it would be such a funny time because there was that terrible, you know, Napoleonic wars going on, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, apparently, you know, it was um, rough financially for that reason as well for the yeah. people. And and yet, for some reason, we all want to return to that era. And I, I actually think it the answer is Jane Austen, just because, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think that's also what inspired Georgette Hare when she, you know, 100 years later, she's kind of um, considered like, the first historical romance writer, because even though she wrote a hundred years ago, she was writing about a period a hundred years prior to the one she lived in. And I'm only, I'm guessing that Austin inspired her as well, but I don't know, I guess, I mean, I'm just assuming it has to be Jane Austen just because she was, you know, who we just love those books. (laughs) And that was, (laughs) that was when they were released. And it was funny. It wasn't even really the, era they were necessarily written you know she had written mm-hmm. them even before the regency era began but that's when they were published and so i don't know it's a good question i wish i had the answer <laughs> i've i've often asked myself the same thing why that period and i do like i am a fan of other historical eras but um it does seem like may- for some reason, when I think of historical romantic comedy, it takes me back to the Regency because I've read Victorian, um, you know, historical romance and different. I, I like Mimi Matthews. I don't know if you're mm-hmm. familiar with her, but um, but it seems like they like the Victorian romances. I mean, I'm sure there's some that are comedic as well, but they seem a little more angsty and, and dark. And, you know, and even after that period, because we have like um you know, Jane Eyre and the Bronte sisters, like it seems much, you know. Well, the Bronte <laughs> sisters are particularly morose and a little different. Yes, for yes, sure. yeah. yeah. So I'm just guessing it must be Austin that makes us all <laughs> such a fan of that period and, and think thinking of it in such a romantic, you know, um, I, I don't know, just feeling like, you know, the, the ladies and the gentlemen and gentlemen were gentlemen and then ladies were ladies and, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, it is amazing how many of us really love that era of history. Maybe it's something to do with the emptier waist. Just everybody loves just like a high cut skirt or something. <laughs> they just go back for that reason. <laughs> um, what, uh, so obviously, you know, you were a romance fan 
prior to, to, to writing it yourself sort of what was, uh, what were the difficulties or did you have any difficulties or was anything surprising to you about trying to write romance? Um, I mean, I think when you write historical romance, it's always extremely, the, the research is always extremely time consuming. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's just, you know, you can't just rely completely on your imagination. You want to base it in reality and historical mm -hmm. fact. So it, it's always surprising to me how long it takes me <laughs> to write a book, even if I've written them before, you know, it's just, um, you don't want to rely on your memory necessarily, even if it's something you researched in the past. And then you always end up going down these research rabbit holes, which mm -hmm. are fun. Like I was reading about this woman today, which I can't remember her name, but it made me like want to go back and read everything about her. But it was about, she actually succeeded in getting a divorce like in the 19th century, but it, she was uh, just an incredible heiress. So she got married for her money, not once, but twice. <laughs> so anyway, just like I'm going to research one thing and then all of a sudden I'm reading the life story of this woman and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so interesting. So I think um, writing historical romance is extremely time consuming and it might not seem that way on the page because this one little kernel of research could be used in one sentence. And so one example is, you know, one of the setups of the, of the film and the book in Mr. Malcolm's list is that Julia Thistlewaite fails a requirement on Mr. Malcolm's list because she can't explain, she can't discuss the corn laws with him, you know. So. I did look that up. I was like, now what is this? <laughs> yes. So I have read about the corn laws. I mean, I don't know if I would be able to discuss the corn laws with <laughs> Mr. Malcolm. I mean, I've read about it like so many times and I'm just like, okay, yeah, this was, <laughs> and it was a lengthy debate that lasted years, you know, about trade at the time. And I'm just like, wow. Yeah. Poor Julia. <laughs> but yeah, so that's one example. I mean, if you have characters who exist in that time, you have to give them something to talk about. So I think that is, um, is one of the challenges, but it's also one of the joys because those little tidbits of research can really become, you know, like so much fun and just inspire you and kind of like, for example, the next book, I'm working on a book right now. It's coming out next year from mm -hmm. Berkeley as well. And, um, it's called the ladies rewrite the rules. And it's basically based on this historical document I found. Um, it's not from the Regency period. It predates it, but in the 18th century where a younger son who was poor wrote a directory of all the rich young ladies <laughs> No. <laughs> yes. In and around London. And he put like their names, the, the spinsters and the widows. He put their names, the amount of money they had in the bank, their, their address and published it. It's a published document. Like you can, you know, find it on Google books or whatever. It's been digitized. Oh yeah. So when I found that, I was like, oh my goodness, I have to write a book about you know, a woman who finds herself on this list and is not pleased to be there. <laughs> so that's the one that I'm working on now. So that's what's fun about writing romance. Um, I think, I think what's hard about writing romance is, um, 
I don't know. I feel like everybody just getting that conveying, like for me, what I really liked, for example, a lot of people liked about the 2005 Pride and Prejudice was, you know, the Mr. Darcy, um, you know, the hand. hand. Yes. (laughs) We all know. know. Yes. Yes. That's all I have to say. So I feel like getting that on the page, like I tried to do that in my last novel, my novel released last year called Miss Lattimore's Letter. And there's a scene Mm -hmm. where they're like at a music concert and it's very like minimal touching, but hopefully evokes that feeling. So I think that's really hard to do. And I feel like there's some romance writers who are very, very um, sensual in their writing. And, but in a way that's not necessarily sexual, but just, you know, just evokes those feelings with very, you know, few touches or, or just with glances or, you know, whatever, it's just, they're able to write and, and evoke that chemistry that we all really love, like that moment in Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, that's fantastic. And speaking of the, the woman who gets divorced, have you ever read The Day of the Duchess by Sarah McLean? No, I haven't. It's about a woman getting a divorce. I think it could be interesting if that sort yeah. of like regency. It's I, I don't think it's not regency because I think she normally writes in like the Victorian era, so it would be mm. a little bit later. But mm-hmm. um, is 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 a really good one as oh, well. Thanks for the recommendation. I'll check it out. <laughs> that sounds the book you're working on now. I am excited about it. Oh, a little note for that. That sounds like a so fantastic. Um, and so. The podcast is called Learning the Tropes. We talk a lot about tropes within romance. Um, so do you have a favorite trope that if you read sort of a blurb of a book and you see it has this trope, you're like, okay, this is for me. Yeah, I kind of like arranged marriage a little mm-hmm. bit. And um, um, I like, I guess I like, I don't know what you call this trope. I'm really bad about tropes, actually. <laughs> like, what is their proper name? I, you know, don't quiz me. But, um, but like journeys, I don't know. Enforced, mm-hmm. I guess enforced proximity, but not necessarily because that could mean like in a home, but just like when they're forced to take a journey together. Or like or, road trip romance. Road trip romance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Except it could be a carrot. You know, so it's a road. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no the 19th century but no they had roads back then so you're right okay road trip romance okay (laughs) that's I kind of like that trope and um I like friends to lovers um that was kind of my story with my husband so I'm Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of that so yeah I I really like them all I think if anything if it has comedic elements that I'm I'm sold like I just recently read I'm not big on contemporary romance um, I mostly read in the historical uh, genre, like even mm-hmm. historical fiction, even if it's not historical romance. But I tried, I ventured outside my comfort zone and I tried a book by um, Sarah Adams called The Cheat Sheet. And mm-hmm. that was um, like, what do you call that? Pretend dating or pretend boyfriend or. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just, yeah. Yeah. Uh... Fake dating. I'm Fake saying dating. pretend. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that one was fun. Uh, and actually, Mr. Malcolm's List has a little bit of that at the end, not so much in the movie, but in the book. So mm-hmm. um, if you like that trope, that's in there. Actually, Mr. Malcolm's List has a lot of the tropes. <laughs> Mr. Malcolm's like, List has a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I, I watched it last week and I really had such a wonderful time watching it. It was, it was really fun. And it's the exact movie that I like <laughs> oh, good. to be made. So it was, I had a, 
So yeah. Um, so everybody go, if you're listening to this podcast or a fan of this podcast, you'll like this, you'll like Mr. Malcolm's list. Um, but it's funny because sometimes you read, uh, or you watch something that's supposed to be a romance and you can tell it's made by people who don't read or enjoy romance or think they're too good for romance or sort of all of those things that aren't that nice but then when you watch something made by people who love romance it's so relaxing and so much better because it's kind of like you know these tropes and you're able to kind of settle into them and you know how to play within them as opposed to just kind of trying to avoid it and then falling Mm -hmm. into other things so um it definitely came through in the film that it was very tropey and I mean that as a big compliment (laughs) Yes, it was extremely tropey. Thank mm-hmm. you for the compliment. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> but no, yeah, I was I was very pleased with it as well. And I was especially pleased with the performances because I feel like the book and the script, um, there's so much humor in the words, but if you don't read it with the same humor in your head, then you're not going to think it's funny. And mm-hmm. it's interesting that um, the narrator for the audio book does that extremely well. She reads it and it's very humorous. And then the actors for the film were hilarious and they just, they just, you know, brought out the humor added to it. Just, it was incredible. I was so pleased with what they brought to the film. And then, you know, um, Frida Pinto and Chape Dirisu had so much chemistry and, you know, just the whole meet cute and the orangery, just their little exchange. It was just, it was perfection. So, and then of course, Theo James, I mean, <laughs> what, what, I know. what, what yeah. romance reader would not, you know, die to have um, Theo James in her film. I, I'll tell you a quick Theo James story. So um, before he was attached to Mr. Malcolm's list, actually Sam Hewen was attached for a short period who is an amazing actor and person as well. I would, Mm -hmm. you know, I was so happy when he was attached, but unfortunately he had to drop out and Theo James replaced him. But I thought it was so funny because my last novel, Miss Lattimore's Letter, they asked me, what did the main two main characters look like? And I sent them a picture of both the man and woman who are the, and the picture was of Theo James. (laughs) (laughs) So if you look at Ms. Lattimore's letter, you might notice the cover of Ms. Lattimore's letter. You might notice that there's a striking resemblance to Theo (laughs) James of the character that's drawn there. And it's because it, it was actually Theo James who was the model for him. So I just found it extremely funny and coincidental that then he got became attached uh, at kind of a a late after I had picked the cut you know the him as a cover model (laughs) you like manifested it you're like I need to be involved in some way yeah the acting was phenomenal you really yeah the the entire cast was was really fantastic as well and you could tell that they were all having a lot of fun too yes I think so definitely And I love too, there's sort of a discussion within romance right now about like unlikable heroines. Mm -hmm. Um, And and Mr. Malcolm's List is obviously mostly just about like Selena and Jeremy. But I think that it's also sort of there's a secondary romance Mm -hmm. as well with Julia and Henry. And I loved also that Julia was allowed to like be a brat 
and not be a particularly nice woman, but still was like, just felt more full as a character. And and I really, really appreciated that because I think there would be uh, in, in other films or something, there might be a desire to like see her get hers, but instead you're like, well, she's the woman acting in this era where she doesn't have a lot of choice. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of like, she's just reacting to the society that she's in and like, yeah, maybe not in the best way. (laughs) Some Mm -hmm. of her choices we might not agree with, but she's allowed to make those choices. And I just want to say how much I really loved her as a character and how much I appreciated like sort of you allowing her to have a happily ever after, even though she, um, you know, wasn't the, the typical. Wasn't the perfect woman. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love that you say that because she was my favorite character and my favorite one to write. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I loved how Zowie Ashton did make us feel very sympathetic towards her. In fact, what was so funny is the scene where I won't give any spoilers, but there's a scene and eventually, you know, she's, she's kind of crying in the scene and I started crying, you know, like, <laughs> and I felt so bad for her. And I, you know, and I, I wrote it, so I knew what was happening. But um, she just, yeah, Zally Ashton did such a good job with that role. And I do love that, um, you know, she's a brat. And but I mean, I feel like we've all had friends like her as well, who kind of, yeah. Like, kind of pushes into doing things or you know and we're kind of like ah you know I mean that's kind of what inspired her but yeah she's just not you know she made a mistake and she regretted it and she shouldn't have to pay for it for the rest of her life and she should she deserved a happily ever after as well so no I Mm -hmm. love that you love Julia this away because I love her too and I I think and I love how she was portrayed in the film I think Zowie did a great job of kind of walking that fine line between brattiness and also where we were able to feel sympathetic towards her. Yeah, it was fantastic. Well done. Well, I know you uh, have a hard out. So sort of uh, to wrap up, I always like to ask sort of what are you reading right now that you're loving? So I'm reading two books at the moment. I thought <laughs> I was hoping to have them finished by the time uh, we spoke, but I'm reading a young adult historical, I guess you'd call it a romance. I'm halfway through. It's very mm-hmm. romantic. It's Olivia Twist um, mm-hmm. by Lori Langdon. And I'm also reading Melissa Ferguson, Meet Me in the Margins. So um, I... I kind of met her on social media. She read one of my books and liked it. And so, and it was so funny because the same week that she posted something about my book, my sister read her book and was like, this is a really good book. So (laughs) I I started Meet Me in the Margins um, over the weekend and I'm a few chapters in and so far it's really cute. It's also a contemporary rom-com, which I told you I hadn't read a lot of, but since I enjoyed the cheat sheet, I thought, oh, let me venture into some others. And since Melissa Ferguson seems like just an incredible person on Instagram, <laughs> I was like, I'll probably like her book as well. She's, she's seems like a very sweet, sweet woman. <laughs> nice. That's yeah. Two great books. And that's the thing about contemporary too. I think contemporary it's, it, they, it can be a bit harder because it's like, why aren't these two grown adults mm-hmm. together. Right. You know, but then when it can be pulled off, it, it is really 
so much fun to read too. So, yeah, I think maybe you've, you know, said why I've had a problem with it in the past. I think, yeah, for some reason in the historical genre, you're just like, okay, yeah, of course, (laughs) of course they would be kept apart. (laughs) But yeah, in the, in the modern day, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like there could be as many obstacles to romance, but I'm sure there are. I, I've been married for a while, so um, I'm sure all the single people out there are like, nope, we've, <laughs> there, are, there are plenty of obstacles, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a lot of things. We just read a book for the podcast, and, and we recorded this morning, uh, The Dead Romantics by Ashley Poston, and it's about a woman who sees ghosts, and she ends up falling in love with a ghost, and I was like, see, now there's a contemporary <laughs> You don't run into that issue very often. That's but, true. Yeah. And that would be That'll a problem. That'll keep you apart. Yeah. <laughs> um, wonderful. Is there any, do you have any last um, things that you, that you want to say that maybe I didn't ask you or anything before we wrap up? No, I, um, I appreciate you having me on here. If anybody is a fan of um, like historical romantic comedies, kind of um, like Jane Austen meets Oscar Wilde type stuff. Um, then check out Mr. Malcolm's list. There's also a book. Definitely watch the film. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. And then my last novel through Berkeley was Miss Lattimore's letter, which is a little more, um, it it takes place in Bath, like persuasion did. And I know I haven't seen the persuasion adaptation yet. I know some were disappointed. I do plan to watch it, but, um, if you read Miss Lattimore's letter, it also takes place in Bath. It's a little bit of a second chance romance type trope. So maybe that'll, that'll kill some of the pain. I don't know. Maybe it won't just read persuasion. <laughs> maybe just read persuasion again. <laughs> and that, and that, and Miss Lattimore's list. What is like the quick little um, blurb about Miss Lattimore's list? And is it a sequel or is it like within the same world as uh, Malcolm? It's, it's not a direct sequel. It's not the same characters, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's playing around with that whole, it's in the same Regency era and it's a historical romantic comedy and um, it's an ensemble like Mr. Malcolm. So you've got multiple couples getting there happily ever after. Um, it's a, a woman who is firmly on the shelf. She's mm-hmm. a, a spinster chaperone and she's chaperoning her cousin and she writes a letter that um, accidentally by accident, she makes four matches and then she becomes renowned in London society as being this matchmaker, which she really is not. And then, um, so she had been consent to sit in the shadows, but then she kind of has her moment and, and hilarity ensues. And and then people start coming to her for romantic advice, which <laughs> she, which she is not qualified to give, but she does her best. <laughs> I love that. That's, that sounds like a fantastic book. I love all of your books have sort of an epistolatory sort of bend to them, which is. Yeah. Too. Yeah. That's exactly. That's kind of the theme I've been on uh, for the past few years. So I love that too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us. How can people obviously uh, Miss Lattimore's list, Mr. Uh, sorry, Miss Lattimore's letter, <laughs> uh, Mr. Malcolm's list. Um, and then how can people, do you have like Instagram sort of like, how can people follow you or, or find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, I have an Instagram, Suzanne.Elaine. 
And I have a website, although it's, I'm not very good about keeping it up to date, but it's <laughs> www.susannalane.com. And it has links to my other accounts. I have a Facebook account, but I'm not on there very often. I'd say Instagram is probably the best way to keep in touch. And I have a Twitter account, but still Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but don't try to find me there on Instagram. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, thanks so much. And everybody, yeah, go see Mr. Malcolm's list while it's on th- in theaters um, and read uh, the books as well. Thanks so much for, for joining us. And, Thank yeah. you. Oh, can I just say one last thing? I'm sorry. Of course. No. Mr. Malcolm's list is actually going to be available this Thursday, July 21st on all um, paid v- video on demand platforms. So for rent, cool. for, for rent or purchase. So um, like, you know, Apple, uh, Amazon Prime, whatever, whatever they are, it'll be there. So if you haven't been able to go to the theater, you know, download it and watch it at home. So that's exciting. It's coming out soon. That's great. Cause I know people are still can be, are like a little nervous about the theater, but right. at home is, is wonderful. Um, and go check it out now on Apple or Amazon or sort of wherever you, you rent your videos on demand. Um, Wonderful. Cool. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. This has been very fun. Thanks for having me. Of course.